Welcome to the Wilderness Medic Podcast. Check out our website at www.thewildernessmedic.com. Expedition Resources, Wilderness Medicine Blog, and much more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wilderness uh, Medic Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Clara Weaver, who is uh, overwintering in Rothwell Research Base with the British Antarctic Survey. Um, and she's uh, just been telling me how she's got quite a lot on, so it's really awesome that she's managed to sort of squeeze squeeze me in to have a chat. So, so welcome, Clara. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Um, thank you very much for having me. No, I know it's, uh, it's great to have a chat, and um, I suppose to, to start with, it'd be uh, kind of interesting to sort of rewind, I guess, and uh, just talk a bit about how you've ended up. Uh, working with uh, the British Antarctic Survey and how you ended up in the Antarctic? (laughs) Um, Well, I seem to have a kind of certain predilection for cold places. Um, But actually, I started being interested about six years ago in medical school when I heard a talk by someone who was working for BASMU. And um, that's the British Antarctic Survey Medical Unit. And I was like, wow, that looks amazing. And I kind of kept an eye on the job in the background as I kind of built my expedition CV, my outdoor CV, um, and started getting more into outdoors and expedition medicine. And then kind of as soon as I could apply for the job, I sent in an application thinking, you know, what the heck, why not? And um, yeah, you know, a year later, here I am uh, starting my second summer at Rothera Research Station. So um, it just shows uh, if you you really, if you're interested in it, why not? Just put your hat in the ring because you can definitely uh, get there. That's awesome. Yeah, like like they say, isn't it? If you if you if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win the raffle, and that's amazing. And um, so, what were you doing between uh, sort of that that inspiring talk you had at medis- medical school and and arriving in the Antarctic? So, um, actually, quite a lot. So, I, at the time, I started to be interested in expedition medicine. I was uh, secretary and then president of um, Imperial College Wilderness Medicine Society. So started to get my kind of toes in the water at that point. I did my elective in Iceland, actually, doing search and rescue and A&E and pre-hospital medicine. And I was also really lucky to do a partnership whilst at medical school with London Ambulance. So I got to ride along with the fast first response unit, um, fast, fast response unit even, for uh, two years. And I had an amazing paramedic mentor called Mike Skillern, who kind of pretty much taught me everything I really need to know about being a doctor. So um, even before I left medical school, I actually had a, a bit of pre-hospital experience. And then during foundation one in year two and two, I, I kind of blended traveling and my own expeditions as a participant, you know, someone who just was a climber or a mountaineer with starting to go on expeditions as a doctor. And kind of my firm belief is that like the first thing I wanted to do was get a firm foundation in the outdoors. So I started working towards my summer mountain leader and then again towards my winter mountain leader and really kind of showing almost on paper, but also to myself that like, not only am I comfortable outdoors, but I can, I can guide groups and lead groups outdoors. And then that kind of means that even if I'm not, you know, in a medical, if, even if I'm in a medical role, I will always be useful as a, uh, as a kind of useful member of any expedition team, regardless of my background. So that's actually proved really helpful down here. Um, because you kind of got to be used to the cold and know how to deal with yourself in it. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of prep, but not just medical. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think I think that's uh, 
you've hit the nail on the head, isn't it? You have to be comfortable working in whichever environment you choose to go. Um, and it's kind of an added bonus that you've got some some medical skills, of course, because they're they're useful. But you, yeah, you need to need to be familiar with your with your environment. That's that's definitely for sure. And what kind of uh, expeditions did you sort of start off with, sort of uh, around the uh, foundation years or, or after that? So I just kind of I started in medical school, just kind of going on really long hikes, doing kind of solo hiking trips hiking trips with friends in the Alps, um, in ice, actually in Iceland. Again, I have a fascination with Iceland, uh, a bit in Finland. So doing some kind of cold weather stuff and also in America where I'm obviously from originally, but, um, I started doing more altitude stuff actually in F1 and F2. So I kind of did a, my first trip was to Georgia in the Caucasus mountains. So kind of, uh, it's interesting region of the world. Um, where I climbed, we attempted a summit of Mount Kesbeck, which is around 5,000 plus meters. Um, I did some, I hiked Tubkal in Morocco in winter. So that was kind of ice axes and crampons. And then um, more recently, I summited some unsummited peaks in Kyrgyzstan, which was absolutely amazing. We spent about a month there just kind of immersing yourself in the surroundings and climbing three peaks all over 4,500 meters. So yeah, some really, really awesome experiences. But again, like you don't get that as the doctor. So it's very different to being an expedition doctor because you actually get to do the fun stuff and the dangerous stuff. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very true. Yeah, and um, Kyrgyzstan sounds really cool. It's definitely on my on my list of places to go. God, yeah, um, please go. And I suppose if we fast forward a little bit, it, yeah, no, I, I will do. One, yeah, um, but um. I suppose it'd be quite interesting to hear what a what a typical day is like. I mean, I imagine no no sort of two days are the same. But what what kind of things have you have you been up to since being uh, at Rothera? So um, there's kind of there's two there's very much rather as a base of two seasons. So you've got your winter season, your summer season. So um, during winter, there's not as much on, um, but I do have a routine to the week. So my week always starts with uh, a clean of the surgery, so deep clean of the surgery. And um, also kind of my weekly checks as well as my daily checks. So that's kind of making sure that everything turns on. All the machines that go beep actually do go beep. Um, also just kind of checking, rotating out the batteries in my monitors, uh, doing a first aid station check. Um, that kind of is, that routine happens every Monday morning and, and kind of takes you up until maybe lunchtime, depending on how busy you are. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the week kind of uh, in summer is exactly what I'm doing now. So receiving cargo, checking medical boxes, preparing people for the field, doing training. So I do a lot of training um, of personnel around base. Um, I also do the station tour uh, because um, I can and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Nice way to meet people and meet new people. So we get like 12 people every other day landing at Rother at the moment, which is quite overwhelming. Um but yeah, no, and then and then other tasks around base can can vary from I do the waste management job over winter, so I go work and I do all the recycling and I incinerate our food waste, um, to just kind of helping out in the kitchen. I do a lot of cooking, um, and also just kind of cleaning days, just generally helping out where you can around base, um, do and then doing all your monthly calibration checks, obviously as part of it. So. You kind of got to manage your own time, manage your own surgery. You're also managing your own pharmacy and your own medical equipment. So that's one of the things I really like about the job is the fact that you're not only learning about austere medicine, um, you're also doing weird and wonderful things like, you know, chamber training for the divers, 
or you know spirometer you know calibrations or kind of learning how to cal- ca- calibrate an ABG machine yourself using a manual from the 1980s and it, it is kind of it's very much a niche job and it's really cool the array of skills you you have to do and, and things you have to do it's it's quite self-directed but there is a there is a rough routine to my life um, but yeah you're right no two days are the same <laughs> yeah no that that sounds great and I guess uh you mentioned that uh, there's quite a lot of uh, of people that that are come come into the station, and are they predominantly sort of scientists going out to do to do research and things? Um, no, actually, it's a real mix. So, um, rather, I can't really operate without its support system, and that support system is kind of almost sixty percent of base personnel. So that's engineers, uh, plant mechanics, um, plant operators to operate big vehicles to move all the snow because. We get meters and meters and meters of snow. Um, cooks, uh, cleaners, people who take over my waste management job, um, field guides who kind of assist the scientists in the field. We have a marine team, and they need a boating officer and a diving officer. And you have everyone's kind of managers that come in and make sure loads of projects are kind of going ahead. Um, and then, of course, there is a very there's a small group of those people that are the scientists, and the the base support system is there to support the science. And, um, but the scientists actually are way outnumbered by the support system. So it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's not what you'd think kind of actually the scientists are kind of, they're in and out and actually very rarely on base for very long because they just get deployed straight to the field. But everything on base is, is geared towards supporting that science, uh, which is pretty special. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And, um, you mentioned that uh, you, you do a lot of training. Do you are you sort of permanently based um, at Rutherford, or do you get to go into the field as well? Um, so, being the only doctor on station, I kind of have to stay on station if there's yeah if there's anything happening. Sure, so, yeah. if there's field flying, if there's diving, you know, I I just have to be there. But in summer, we do get support from the military. So, we get two military doctors that come down first in January and then in around March. They come for about six weeks, and they 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 act as a way to support me and uh, support the base population, which gets up to 160, 170 people in summer, which is quite a lot. Um, and then, and that means I can kind of go out into the field. I can have a bit of a rest. But over winter, it's only 23 people, so um, I do get to go off station once or twice. But I'm my my satellite phone is always on, so you're never really mentally off station. And uh, I think uh, one of my predecessor said that a uh, you never really leave Rothera until you you physically leave Rothera and your radio is handed back in. It's like a bleep, but worse. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the the main difference with having a bleep is at the end of your shift you can at least uh, leave it at leave it at work. But uh, obviously, you're you're sort of living at work for 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 a long time. <laughs> how, how has it has it been? How has it been managing that? Um. You know, it's 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 been good. I would be lying if I said it wasn't entirely, you know, it's not always easy. Um, living and constantly being at work, because actually your caseload isn't big, it's, it's kind of like being a coiled spring. You always have tension and it's always there in the back of your mind, but you're never really stressed. And, you know, maybe some days are busier than others, but you're never medically stressed. And but you're always waiting to be medically stressed. And in a way, I think kind of the pandemic kind of taught us this a bit is that actually waiting for something to happen that's relatively inevitable. Waiting for it to happen is almost worse than it happening because when it's happening, 
there is a big medical event. You're in it. You're doing the job you've trained to do. You're doing your, you know, you're doing your thing. You're practicing medicine, but just kind of waiting, waiting to practice medicine can, can be quite difficult. It's also quite lonely. Um, I think people, you underestimate how much you enjoy having a team of people around you who are like-minded and kind of just act as a sounding board for stuff you're doing. So you're, you're alone kind of, and you've got people to support you back in uh, Plymouth and Dareford, but they're not down there with you. They don't know the personnel. Like there's no one to chat through cases with and act as an objective observer. Um, and that's quite nice about having two doctors on station is that you've got kind of two heads who know roughly what the base situation is. They know what the deal is. Um, and that could be really nice. It also means that like if you have interpersonal issues with patients that you also live with, um, if you've got more than one doctor, you can yeah. kind of use that to play them off against each other. You know, like, it's like, okay, well, I'm having a fight with so-and-so this week, so you can see them. But during winter, that's obviously, uh, they're stuck yeah. with you. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that, that makes things a bit tricky. And you mentioned a, a sort of a, f- a few interesting things there. I, I just wondered in terms of kind of telemedical support, you, you said that you can so- you sort of got some support in, in the UK um what kind of support is that is that sort of like video conferencing or just having a chat a bit like what we're doing now or anything more than that so actually basmu um of the organizations i've worked with really does set a gold standard for um the way that they support their staff down here so we have a monthly clinical governance meeting where we discuss x-rays we've done we discuss cases uh you know and our our bosses are senior consultants like they're really on it um, you can email your boss about, you know, can email the, the kind of BASMU seniors about any medical problem at any time of day. We also text them as well. So for cases that are, you know, trivial or minor or kind of might need a little bit of input or an extra eye on them, we'll email. Um, and then if there is something, there was one big event last year, um, we got them to video conference in for that. And they kind of watched live as we, as we did a kind of a, a procedure. So that was quite nice to have to know that they they couldn't physically help you, but they were always there to um, to kind of give support if you needed it and and give advice, um, even though they couldn't do the skills. So our support is fantastic. Also, um, one of our uh, kind of our administrative logistics staff, Mike Din, has been down to Antarctica before. He's wintered, and so not only do you have a wealth of clinical experience, but you've got a wealth of experience with bass. So they know how it feels they know how it works they know how you might be feeling and they're quite experienced as supporting polar doctors so they've been you know they 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 are people you can call if you are struggling physically and also as well as you know kind of like personally they're really good and they understand what it's like to be down here so uh, you know kind of i'd say that we're as well supported as we can be and even though you are the only doctor physically you're never clinically alone and that is a real a real bonus to bass and, and a real kind of privilege that makes working for them really cool actually. Yeah, no, that sounds, uh, that sounds really good. Um, it's important to have, have that backup, isn't it? And and you mentioned about sort of calibrating the ABG machine and, and x-rays and things. Um, what other sort of uh, investigations can you do at, at Brother and I guess you must have had, had a quite a lot of training in terms of, you know, doing the x-rays and uh, calibrating the machines and things. So machine calibration, not so much, but we actually have a lot of clinical investigative capability at Rothera. So um, 
just kind of, kind of from a monitoring and basic investigations, bedside investigations kind of thing, we have we have a Zoll monitor, and so that can do a 12 lead ECG, BP, pulse oximetry. Uh, it can also measure CO2, end tidal CO2, and it's got a pacing pads as well as cardioversion pads. Um, bedside tests-wise, we can do blood glucose, hemoglobin. We've got a kind of pocket troponin test and a pocket D-dimer. Um, we also have a carbon monoxide monitor, and that's really important because we we is it's a historic problem with bass, but their cookers used to inefficiently burn, so we got quite a few cases of carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, we also have a twelve lead ECG. Oh, okay. We have an ABG machine, um, and we also have uh, fecal fecal blood testing as well. I'm just kind of trying to think, and obviously pregnancy tests and urine strips and all that kind of thing. Um, and then x-ray as sure, well, yeah. which uh, I'm probably forgetting some, but, um, but the, it's, we're actually pretty well, you can do quite a lot with investigations like that. Like you can rule out or rule in some stuff and it kind of helps guide your plan. But at the end of the day, kind of, if you're really suspicious of something nasty, then they're going to leave and they're going to be evacuated. So, um, yeah, they kind of, it's investigations are really useful for some things and obviously for musculoskeletal stuff, they're really good, but equally, um, they should only add to your management and clinical picture and never kind of, they're never used to decide things. That's kind of more of a higher yes, no, should they stay, should they not kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I guess it, it's that old sort of adage of uh, there's only a point in doing a test if it's going to alter your management and things, isn't it? Um, and exactly. I guess that that kind of brings me on, you mentioned evacuations, Um yeah, so I suppose if, if someone does need to, to be evacuated because they're having a STEMI or a stroke, you know, they're having a particularly bad day, and, and so are you, how would you go about doing that? Is it sort of a case of uh, they, they'd fly out, or what would happen? Um, so it kind of depends. Again, rather, it is very much a two-season base. So in summer, you know, we've got four twin otters on site. We've got a plane called the Dash 7s that can uh, transport a supine patient in a in a pressurized cabin, the twin otters are unpressurized cabins and can kind of essentially uh, shuttle walking wounded. Uh, we go to the Falklands for our medical evacuations and also sometimes to Punta Arenas in um, South America. But COVID's made that a bit more difficult, so it's mostly medical evacuation to the Falklands. Um, we can also use the ships for slow transfers, so uh, or if there's bad weather, so the ships can kind of get through the ice um, and they stay a lot longer than the planes do, but in winter, um, you're kind of, you're kind of on your own. Um, the runway is under about kind of two, three meters of snow. Uh, it's a blue, it's an ice runway until it thaws in summer. So, um, even though we have a twin otter in the Falklands that could potentially come get patients if need be, it would take, you know, a week minimum, maybe two kind of thing. So, you know, if someone injures themselves during winter, you're really in it for, you know, the long haul. You're you're ready to to kind of respond to that. But equally, that's why I do so much training. So I'm not medically by myself. I have about six advanced first aiders who go on a, a three-day course before they come down here with, with BASMU. And then I train them throughout winter on kind of kind of big medical incidents like, you know, sepsis, broken bones you know, head injuries, all that kind of thing. So they're actually pretty well drilled and they can help me out and they have helped me out in a couple of cases. So um, you're not entirely alone, but your options are very limited uh, in winter for sure. 
Yeah, no, it sounds it. Um, interesting. And I suppose you touched, touched on a few things there. Um, I suppose what are the most common sort of health issues that, that kind of keep you busy? Um, so it's, it's really mostly, um, you know, kind of minor stuff like foreign bodies and eyes, splinters, uh, musculoskeletal things, long-term health things like, you know, long-term knee problems or joint problems that flare when they're down here when you're work, walking on an uneven surface all the time. Um, sometimes a lot, a lot of kind of sexual health, female health, um, and kind of occupational health as well. So we do vaccinations and that kind of stuff. Obviously we've had the COVID-19 vaccine down here this year. Um, but occasionally we do get big stuff. So I, I get occasionally the odd broken bone. Um, I've had two this winter. They've been very small and they've healed on station. Um, but obviously like we do get the occasional ankle fracture. Um, and we've had over the years, a couple of small incidents, a couple big incidents that have required kind of big effort evacuations, but I have uh, been lucky so far and I finished my winter with the same number that I started with. So uh, we're doing well so far, but I'm I've got six good. months left. So yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm pleased <laughs> to hear that. Yeah. I'm pleased to hear that. And, and I suppose like with all expeditions, obviously pre-departure screening is really important, even more so if you know, you have those uh, limitations with being able to get people out to all the sort of support staff and scientists undergo a pretty rigorous pre-departure medical yeah, so the pre-departure medical is kind of, it's uh, first a questionnaire that they fill in, and then they have a medical with us where we do a full systems examination. Um, if they are over a certain number of kind of years old, we do an ECG. Uh, if you find anything on ex- on kind of on examination, then you send them on to, um, to a kind of specialist for screening beforehand. So they kind of need to not come down with any active medical problems or anything that kind of needs constant monitoring. So for example, diabetics are not allowed at Antarctica because especially, you know, type type one diabetics, because we can't deal or we wouldn't be able to deal with a kind of a diabetic crisis and insulin might not keep and all that kind of stuff. So there are obviously certain health conditions that are screened out. And obviously with COVID, our, our, our team, actually my winter team was subject to stricter kind of requirements. You had to be under a BMI of 30. You had to be a very light smoker or not a smoker at all. Um, you had to be under the age of 50, sorry, 60. Um, as you know, as as well as a couple other little kind of cardiovascular health things, um, but they were quite strict with our year. They've relaxed it again now, but um, but yeah, they our year was subject to even more strict uh, screening simply because it was the kind of the peak COVID year, if you like. Yeah, no, that that makes sense definitely, and um, I suppose you've you've mentioned a, f- a few things, but um, what other things did you? sort of need to do with BAS to kind of prepare to, to going out there? Did they put on any other sort of training? You mentioned about uh, sort of divers and, and uh, so do you have a decompression chamber there as well? Isn't it? Yeah, so we have we have, a, we have a dive chamber and we have six months of training before we go. So that is a mix of mm-hmm. emergency medicine. So you're predominantly based in A&E, but um, you kind of can do breakout sessions. So you break out to all the different specialties like plastics, uh, you know, ENT, ophthalmology, um, a lot of the nurse led clinics are amazing to go to and, you know, orthopedics and stuff. So essentially you're, you're, you're absorbing as many specialist skills as you can whilst kind of being based in emergency medicine and trying to kind of keep those recess skills up. Um, you're also, you know, you go on an x-ray course, you go on a dive medicine 
or a dive chamber course. You can actually run the dive chamber if you needed to. Um, that's really good just for kind of awareness of how it works. We would never actually be expected to do it. Um, but you know, just so we know how it all works and know how, know the physics of it as well. Um, we're sent on uh, yeah, it's a radiology course. We do like a kind of plastic, plastic surgery minors course. So kind of some more advanced suturing techniques, um, dealing with kind of extensor tendon, uh, kind of injuries and kind of tendon sutures, um, and again, there's loads other of other things. We also teach a lot. So we teach uh, first aid to everyone coming down. So Bass put on pre-deployment training. So that's about kind of a week long um, for everyone. And then they do another week of like first aid. And that's that's provided by BASMU. And it's, it's like first aid plus. It's a little bit more than most first aid courses, but it's kind of tailored to the fact that you're going to a really remote austere area. So everyone on station's first aid trained. And then BASMU have quite a lot of training for us. And they, they put on a real good range of, of things. And, you know, even if you don't go, like the Antarctica bit is obviously the draw, but just as special is the ability to go and, and train and go and like be really selective about, um, about the specialties you go and look at. And, you know, you don't have to take every case that comes into A&E. You can select the ones that, that, you know, kind of are really pertinent to your skill development. So it's a very luxurious job in that you really just get to learn and it's amazing to get to learn like that, um, in a way that you kind of haven't really done since medical school. So, uh, that, that's another really cool thing about the job. Yeah, that is good actually, isn't it? Particularly the <laughs> selecting interesting A&E cases. Yeah. And, um, I suppose what did people sort of, uh, say when you said, I mean, obviously, I'm sure they thought it was awesome because the, the Antarctica is, is, is an awesome place to go. But what did people say when you sort of like, well, I'm, I'm sort of disappearing for 18 months or so? I think my mother thought I was insane. Um, my dad <laughs> was like, well, that's pretty on brand for you. Uh, and I think my friends were like, that's amazing, Clara. You're amazing. This is an amazing job. I wouldn't do it in, you know, if you paid me a million bucks. So, you know, I think most people were you know, really everyone's really supportive of it, but I think kind of it's something that sounds amazing. And it's one of those experiences that sounds amazing, but to actually do it, you have to really want to do it. And I think that's a lot of people's reactions were, it's going to be amazing. You're going to have an amazing time, but like, I wouldn't, no way in hell would I want to do it, but good that you do. And that's part of the kind of screening process for BASMU actually, is that they, they don't just want people who want it because it's kind of cool. They want people who want the job, want the training, want to live down here with your patients for 18 months, which is not easy. And they kind of, they expect us to kind of go into it with our eyes open. So, um, you know, yeah, people were really supportive and people were really excited, but also like they realized how much of a big undertaking this was. And, and so did I, and we were all just kind of like, well, you know, it's going to be great, but it's also going to be hard. And, um, yeah, no, they were, they're still supportive, which is important. <laughs> they haven't gotten tired of the okay. penguin pictures. Not yet. <laughs> That's good. Now that was going to be my next question. Yeah. You, you must've seen some great wildlife whilst, whilst down there. And... Yeah. I mean, you know, kind of you walk around the point around Rathera and like you could film something worthy of national geographic. It's, it is, it is insanely beautiful, but even more, I don't know, for me personally, even more beautiful than the wildlife is the scenery because it's just, there's just nothing there, but equally, you know, especially in the dark months when the light is really low and you've just got these amazing starry nights that are just black 
And when you wander away from station in the dark, you just feel very alone and you feel so exposed. And it's a very kind of, it's a feeling I don't think we get a lot of the time as human beings anymore, but that just that feeling of truly being very, very small. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I applied to the job was because I really like, you know, it sounds really uh, sad, but I like reminding myself of my own kind of insignificance in the world and kind of feeling that, that smallness as a human being and feeling kind of that nature is just so much bigger than yourself. And Antarctica is one of those last real true wildernesses. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a real privilege to be down here for, for a year almost. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty amazing when you, when you put it like that, definitely. Um, and I suppose that kind of brings me quite nicely onto sort of the best bits of, uh, of being down there. It sounds like that's, that's sort of one of them. Yeah. I mean, the best bits are definitely the fact that it's really a beautiful place and on your worst day, um, or on a bad day, um, all you got to do is walk around the point and you just realize you see the icebergs, you see blues you have never seen in your life before you watch the, the elephant seals fighting or the penguins definitely trying to eat you despite the fact that they're about like two feet high, uh, you know, kind of you are reminded how amazing it is. And so kind of any of the difficulties, any of the, you know, the loneliness or the lack of privacy or whatever you want to choose is your kind of thing that's bothered you or that, has made it hard. Um, it is actually the nature and where you are that makes it worth it. And you kind of just, you just kind of got to remind yourself how beautiful it is. And like, but also another really amazing bit was getting to be close to people in a way that I've never been close to people before. And like, not to say I don't have good, strong friendships and I have some amazing friendships, but like, uh, it's a weird closeness. I can tell who's in a building by whose boots are in the boot room or, I can tell you who's walking down the corridor by the, by their footsteps. Never have I been so intimately aware of other people. And it really gives you, A, a very good appreciation for um, your own predilection either towards introversion or extroversion. Um, and uh, also kind of really, it's just, it's nice to kind of have, it's nice and comfortable to have humans around. And it, it I think it's one of the things I will miss is having always having someone around, always having someone there that like, you know, so well that you, you know them from their footsteps or you like, this is going to sound really weird, but like you can, someone can pass in a corridor and you can tell who it is because you know what their shampoo smells like because there's no smell here. So like you just, <laughs> you just know, you just yeah. know people in a very visceral human way. Um, and that's, it's really powerful. And I think it's one of the understated parts of the job, but definitely, one of the better parts, I think. Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of um, compared to being like, uh, well, back in the UK, I guess it's uh, everything just slows down, I guess, because you've got all the, the nature, the, the scenery, and as you say, um, sort of a, a select group of people, particularly over the winter. And it sounds like you're just much more aware of all these, all the little details, which sounds really nice. Yeah, it is. It is really nice, actually. It's I think it's something I'm going to really miss is that kind of that intimacy with other people when I get back. And I think it's something I've decided that I, I do quite like, um, even if sometimes it does feel like there is no privacy. It's also nice to have that intimacy with people who know you that well. Um, so that it's a double edged sword for yeah, sure. I guess you, you can kind of 
yeah, you get a bit of cabin fever after a while, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, sometimes. It'd be interesting to, yeah, <laughs> it'd be interesting to to kind of hear the advice you've got for people uh, listening who might want to sort of have a similar experience. What kind of things would you suggest they they did? Um, I mean, I think for you know, this is more for anyone who wants to go into expedition medicine. You know, number one, just go outside. The more outdoor experience you have, the more comfortable you're going to be in the environments you want to go into. Um, and also you'll, you'll know more of what you want. So, you know, if you, I like high, cold mountains, you know, Antarctica, but, you know, for, for this job specifically, kind of what I'd say is come talk to us, you know, know your job, know the difficulties. I think this is one of the most challenging jobs out there. It is not just challenging physically sometimes, but also really mentally, um, you know, you've got to really want to be here and that want that, that want to be there, that desire to be here is kind of what's going to get you through the days where you actually really don't want to be here. And that does happen and that's okay. And I think kind of one of the things of advice I'd tell people, you know, when they come is it's not necessarily your medical experience. It's, more kind of your personal resilience that will get you in the door. And it's your desire to, to go to Antarctica and also, you know, your, 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 your personality. If you are someone who will chip in, who likes to be part of a community who, you know, instead of just kind of sitting and having a coffee while someone else is working really hard in the kitchen, will bring them a coffee and say, Hey, do you want me to chop something? You know, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a type of person. And it's a certain type of person that makes a winter at Rothera. Um, and makes him an, an Antarctic doctor, and because you, you you're not just the doctor, you're a lot of other things too. And um, what I what advice I'd say is, you know, if you're thinking of coming, um, firstly, great, we'd love to have you, um, and just make sure you want to do it and come talk to us because we're really approachable. Um, and the more you know about your job, um, the more the better you're going to be at it. And you know, I think that it's a really, really amazing opportunity. And it's one of those few last, you know, I don't know, for me, it's one of those last proper expedition jobs. And it's amazing to be here. But also, it will probably be amazing. And I hope it will be amazing when I come back and kind of reflect on the experience and go like, holy crap, I went to Antarctica for a year and a half. Yeah. And it was insane. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's, yeah, no, thanks. That's a, that's a really honest and, and interesting answer. Yeah, and I guess yeah, you sort of said, you know, eventually you you will be back. What what are your plans for the, for the future once you've sort of got used to uh, life again? Um. So it's funny you ask. So before I left, I was diehard emergency medicine. All I wanted to do was hems and spend loads of time running around any patching up, God knows what. But actually, since being here, um, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit, and I'm looking more towards rural GP. Um, I've really liked the way oh, that yeah. I... Oh, team GP all the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, GP. So um, I've actually, I've done a test <laughs> run this year. I've submitted my application um, to the Scottish rural track. Um, but I'm kind of more looking like towards places without a hospital, um, managing my own surgery. Mm -hmm. I really like the autonomy I have here to kind of manage my day, manage my time. I really like knowing my patients really well. So I don't have to ask those niggling, annoying, you know, ice ideas, ex, you know, concerns, expectations, questions. 
I know my patients well. I know when they're not having a good day. I know what to ask and when to ask what. And I really like that. And I think that it's something I might look for in my next job. So I'm not sure is the answer, but watch this space. Hopefully something interesting will come of it. No, that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, it's been really, really good to chat. I know you've got a, a lot to be getting on with sorting out people getting getting out and things. Um, but yeah, it's been great to have a chat. Uh, I, I probably won't be making it out to Antarctica. I sort of discussed it with my wife very briefly, and she was like, "18 months." <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'm full of admiration. It's, it sounds it sounds uh, excellent, and it's, it's been really great chatting to you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's 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 really great to share, and I hope that you know for any of you listening that are thinking of applying, just do it, just go for it. You know, like what the hell you might end up down here like me. And for any of those that kind of want to do expedition medicine, like, you know, the sky is your limit, like think laterally, get off the career ladder. Just think about what you could be doing with your degree. Cause it's a passport to an incredible travel life. I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's amazing. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, then check out our website, www.thewildernessmedic.com. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode or writing a blog for us, then do get in touch and don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time, take care.